Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Rebecca Sorensen, co-founder of Blossom to the podcast. Blossom is a Chapel Hill, North Carolina-based flower farm and design studio. The farm is owned and co-operated by a young man living with autism. Their work is a celebration of the beauty and uniqueness of both the flowers and humanity. Rebecca has over 10 years of experience in sustainable horticulture and over 20 years of experience as a community development consultant. She organizes unique community initiatives to serve adults living with intellectual and developmental disabilities like autism. She's the mother of a young man on the spectrum who has found fulfilling and purposeful work as a farmer. We're excited to learn more from her and her family's experience and this unique venture that she walked into. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. It's interesting to me is that as we go into every single one of these podcasts, there's always a personal story to this. How did you decide to co-found Blossom Flower Farm? How did you get into this field? Well, um, I think a lot of invention is born of necessity, and that would definitely be our story. So uh, Ramey was diagnosed with autism at 18 months. We moved to North Carolina when he was entering second grade, and we had a rather catastrophic experience in the Wake County public school system. So we homeschooled him for about eight years. And then when he was 16, we found this really wonderful charter high school in Carborough, North Carolina, that served um, at-risk students, students with disabilities, and students with mental illness. And it was a a school um, whose student population was about 68% living below the poverty level. It was a really um, diverse group, uh, a lot of students who had kids, students who were working full-time to support their families, students who were in and out of the hospital due to various illness, and then students who were spending a lot of time off campus um, doing you know, credit recovery or work programs like my son. And, uh, and Ramey loved that school, and those teachers just created this amazing culture of kindness, and everybody looked out for each other, and everything was moving along just fine. And then uh, an individual from the Department of Public Instruction decided that they needed to investigate Pace's attendance records. Pace is the mm. name of the school. Um, and of course, their attendance records were um, not in perfect order. You know, they did serve you know, a kind of tricky student body in terms of, you know, keeping all their records straight, but rather than offer to help them um, put together a better record keeping system, the state took Pace to court. And as I mentioned, Pace is a pretty poor school um, and and Pace lost. And so 10 days before the first day of school in the fall of 2015, um, the state closed Pace's doors and left hundreds of students, very vulnerable students, with no plan and no place to go. And one of those students was my son. Um, just a little add-on to that story, the individual who initiated the investigation in the first place, once Pace was closed, he resigned from the Department of Public Instruction 
and took a CEO position at a for-profit virtual charter school that served, guess what population? Um, It was just, the whole situation was so frustrating. And my husband and I were so just kind of done with the North Carolina public school system at that point that we just said, you know what, for Ramey, um, for where he falls on the spectrum, um, let's just make the next transition one that puts him on a path to find his greatest joy and independence and drawing on experiences that we had had when he was homeschooling. When we were homeschooling, we had set up different community internships for him with different organizations around mm-hmm. the county. And one of them was at a farm just down the road where he ended up volunteering for four years because he loved it so much. Oh, wow. So I, you know, I have a background in horticulture, love gardening, love working in greenhouses. And so it just sort of made sense um, to think about starting a farm. And so we ended up having conversations with division of Oak rehab and writing a grant proposal and then getting funded in the spring of 2016 to, to get things going. That's I mean, that's amazing. Just the the thought that all of this happened with, I mean, basically what is the heartbreaking story and the fact that you had so many kids that lost their placement and lost their opportunity for an education that parents saw as very important to them. But as an eternal optimist, I'll say is that, you know, it sounds like there is a, very good end to this and the fact that it motivated some community members, you being one of them, to create a unique experience out of this and to continue to find ways to give back. So hopefully end game is that, you know, is that Ramey and, and other children ended up with a wonderful opportunity um, out of this and, and potentially there's more community involvement from it. So it, it, this might be kind of the, the question that, that tips the scale for a lot of um, parents with children with autism, but it sounds like Ramey found fulfilling work. He found a role for himself where he felt that he was achieving, that he was really contributing, and that he had a way to give back to the community in the way that he wants to. What does that, what is the, that feeling of purposeful and fulfilling work mean for him? Well, I mean, I, I think that it means the same thing for him as it does for anybody. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a, it's a reason to get out of bed every day. It's a clear path to joy and accomplishment. It's that feeling that, um, you know, you make sense on the planet and that you're leaving the world better than the way you found it. And I think for him, and for a lot of folks with developmental disabilities, um, it's harder for them to, to have that opportunity to demonstrate that they have value and a lot mm-hmm. to offer their communities. And I think farming for Ramey, I mean, it just, it offers so many different opportunities to to take care of living things, to be dependent, mm-hmm. to be a colleague, to be, you know, a customer service, you know, provider, to just to give back in service to your community through our Good Karma initiative. I mean, it's just, uh, I, can, I couldn't imagine what his life would be like right now without Blossom. Yeah. And uh, I mean, before we get into the details of Blossom, I love the answer that you just gave is that 
a, every individual, and and this includes people who are uh, neurotypical, people who are neurodiverse, is that they're all capable individuals, but there's sometimes societal barriers, and that could be driving. It could be a lack of education on the employer side. It could be uh, difficulty with interviewing that have kept people out of the workforce or have kept people underemployed without the chance for advancement. Um, is, is, there, is there advice at large that you'd be giving to the employer set to, to kind of guide them on your experience and Ramey's experience with he is just as capable as anybody else. He, he just, like us all, we need to find our niche of what it is that we really care about and what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot I can say about that, but just to, to kind of rein it into one thing, um, I'll share a story. So I have a friend who owns a restaurant in Chapel Hill, and he used to hire folks with disabilities to work in his restaurant. And what he ran into was that the support providers that came with the folks who had disabilities, who were there to help facilitate the process of work, were often folks who didn't have any training, didn't have any experience, were not being paid very well, and, and as a result, didn't, um, didn't put a lot of energy or effort into the work that they were expected to do. And so often, folks with disabilities would show up to work at my friend's restaurant, and it was my friend's staff that had been hired to do another job in the restaurant that ended up supporting the person with the disability so that they could be mm. successful in their work. And so as a result, my friend no longer hires people with disabilities to work at his restaurant. And so what, what the reality is, is that, um, you know, the direct support workforce that, that is supposed to be the linchpin to opportunity for our young adults have now become the barrier to opportunity for our young adults because we have we have a workforce that isn't trained, isn't compensated, isn't empowered to be successful in the work that they've been asked to do. And the folks who really suffer for that are our young adults with disabilities. And so my, I mean, I think the I and I can only speak to to Ramey and where he falls on the spectrum, which is really right in the middle of the spectrum. Um, he is capable of doing amazing things. He can, you know, there's not, there really isn't anything, well, <laughs> there's not much that he couldn't learn mm -hmm. with the right teacher and the right support provider, but he will always need support in his life. He will always need someone with him to facilitate the successful execution of that work. Um, it's just a reality for him. And so as long as we, you know, we can teach Ramey to make, cake, we can teach him to brew coffee, we can teach him to be a farmer. And there's a lot of things that he can do independently. But the reality is that for the rest of his life, if he's to be successful in that line of employment, he's going to need direct support staff who are able to facilitate his work throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And I, I just I feel like as long as we continue to to have a direct support workforce that isn't trained or compensated, it's not going to change for our folks. No, absolutely. And, and, and that is key as that you, you need to have people who have the skill set, who have the education to understand how to integrate, how to create a more inclusive environment and how to be able to pull off the skill sets that Ramey, that Ramey obviously has 
and how to how to incorporate them into every part of his life so he has a way to use those skill sets often versus feeling like he has to withdraw at any given time. And North Carolina was a little bit behind behind the curve on some of the services that had been coming in for especially the autism community, but that's starting to kick up, which means that you're going to have more providers out there, but they have to be trained the way that you're describing. Just having people isn't helpful. (laughs) Having the right people with the right skills is helpful. Right. Um, So Interestingly enough, though, isn't your background in uh, in social work is uh, or therapy, right? I have a I have a graduate degree in social work, and actually, no, I'm a I'm a macro social worker. So my um, my focus is on developing programs that use natural interactions and processes to promote a truly intentional human experience. And I direct a lot of that work towards um, the community of folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities because that is where my heart is and my passion lies. And I just, I just find like my friendships with folks with disabilities to be some of the most transformative friendships I've ever had in my life. No, absolutely. And, and you're not the first that I've ever heard that from is that that's something that seems to resonate is that um, having relationships with people who are different than you and, and neurodiversity is one of those things. People who have different abilities is another ca- category of people, but enriching yourself with those experiences, it, it really is something that's beneficial for both parties. It's really a wonderful experience. Um, but I guess uh, your background in, in the macro social work, I guess you could define for me then, <laughs> what is social care farming? And, and I guess that's where Blossom really is kind of the foundation would be, but what is social care farming? So I actually have a little, I have a quote that my, my friend, he's a really good friend of mine. He's a pastor and a poet. And he, he defines social care farming this way. He says, when you summon your most hopeful imagination for the world and your thoughts are drawn toward an agricultural setting where all people are welcome, where each person's work is valued, where the land is honored and where interaction with nature is playful and purposeful, a picture of social care farming comes into focus. Social care farming is farming that brings together farmers, social service providers, and community members who use farming and farm-related activities to promote therapeutic intervention, employment, spiritual engagement, meaningful activity, and community connection for marginalized and vulnerable populations. Simply put, Social care farming is a world-changing movement that recognizes the healing power of land, labor, community, and purpose. That's a, that's a powerful quote. It actually takes me back to uh, at, uh, the late 90s when I was in uh, at Vanderbilt as I did a course called Intentional Communities. And uh, this sounds exactly like that, is that you're creating a very intended community to bring about um, therapy, health, social, vocational outcomes, everything that, that creates, uh, I guess, a, a better well-being for people. So for Ramey then, how, how did you see this ownership of a business and the integration into the workforce and running components of the flower farm? How did you see that help him as a therapeutic intervention? When Pace shut down and Ramey was you know, not going to school and, and we were still working on the grant to get funding to start the farm, um, 
my husband and I consider ourselves pretty resourceful people. And we were really struggling to put together days full of stuff for Ramey to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in North Carolina, we have what's called an innovations waiver, which is a waiver that provides Medicaid funded services that are out of the norm of, of usual Medicaid service delivery. And so Ramey has, you know, the full barrage of supports under that waiver, but just having those supports doesn't necessarily mean that there's opportunities within which to use those supports. And so he was basically going to the YMCA every day and taking Zumba with the, you know, with a bunch of, of 80 year old women who mm-hmm. loved him. But still, I mean, I remember Ramey getting up one morning and saying, you know, mom, I hate Zumba. And I was like, I've, I understand, but you can't sit at home and be on the couch all day. You have to go out and do something. And yeah. so, and so, you know, now that the farm, you know, is, is going on, like he, he is up at eight o'clock every day. He meets his farmer at nine. They write a checklist, they do a meditation and then they get to work and he works until four o'clock every day. And if it's a holiday, we're working weekends. If it's a market week, we're working markets. Um, you know, there's, there's always something to do. And I can tell you the affect that Ramey has, his attitude, his joy, um, just his presence um, is completely different than it was for that year when we were working on the grant and we didn't have, um, he didn't have access to regular employment. And that's because my son knows the difference between living a purpose-driven life and having a calendar full of just stuff to do. Um, uh, no. And, and you know what, it, that is one of the hot topics. And it's something that I feel like is happening in all communities right now is the idea of what is inclusion. Is it going to a Zumba class with 80-year-olds doing Zumba on a weekly basis? Is that really getting out in the community and creating a life for yourself? Or are there purpose-driven opportunities that really work off the motivation of the individual? How, how do you, I mean, you've lived it, you've done it, you've built it. What would you be recommending for other families to find these same sort of events? Are there other um, garden-based opportunities? Does Blossom have opportunities for people to apply for employment? I mean, what's out there? Yeah, um, we actually, we do have a process for people to apply for employment. Um, And we're kind of, we're trying to work through some of the, the struggles that we've been having around that direct support piece that, that we talked about earlier. Um, and then in terms of, you know, community gardens and nonprofit farms, they almost always have community work days. And I think that's a great way to kind of, you know, test drive your interest in farming because farming can be really hard work, especially if you live in North Carolina, you can, you know, experience some pretty uncomfortable weather. So it, it, it's not for everyone, but I think for, for the people who, who really enjoy it, who really have found, you know, a calling to it, it, um, it offers so much opportunity. I mean, surely there's opportunity for repetition. You've got, you know, seeding, weeding, planting, harvesting. Those are all, you know, pretty repetitious activities. But then there's also so much diversity that happens throughout the day um, and many opportunities to, to have to kind of be very cerebral, you know, in, in your decisions, you know, the drip take breaks, what do you do? And what's really cool is watching Ramey draw on all the experiences that he's had over the years and use those experiences to come up with solutions to new things that he encounters every day here at the farm. Um, and, and I think 
why this works for Ramey is because when we were homeschooling him and we did those community internships, those provided him with a catalog of experiences that he could then kind of look back to and he would know not only what it was that he enjoyed, but what it was that he was good at. Because if you enjoy something, but you're not good at it, it's probably not the thing you want to do for the rest of your life. You know, I mean, it kind of doesn't feel good to go to a job every day and not feel like you know what you're doing or how to do it well. But to go to a job and to and to enjoy it and to also be successful at it and to recognize your accomplishments in it. That's, that's a good job. (laughs) Absolutely. And, And the fact that the farming enterprise has so many layers of employment. It sounds like regardless of where your abilities are right now, there's a role to be played. There's a, there's a chance to be integrated into it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So and now there are community events, I would imagine that are out there, but there's also um, ways for people to kind of get involved and support um, businesses that employ or that are owned, in your case, by people with developmental disabilities or, or delays or, or autism. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do people hear about you all? How can they get involved? How can they support your business? Um, what's, what's the process for that? Or is there a website that people can look at, can get to, to be able to help you? Yeah, so we are we we can be found at www.beautifulblossom.com and you can follow us at beautiful blossom on Facebook and Instagram. We do we do a lot of community partnerships. One of the things that's really important to our team and to our mission is um, we believe that we flourish when others around us flourish. And so uh, we've sort of generated a, a kind of mission-driven wholesale market where we um, we create bouquets for nonprofits that kind of align with our, our mission or our purpose. And, and then it, rather than like making bouquets and selling them wholesale to a grocery store, we make bouquets and sell them wholesale to the nonprofit that they can then sell at retail costs to the community as part of a fundraiser for any projects that they have going on. And this is a really wonderful way to support both a locally owned and operated farm and then support you know, a, a nonprofit organization that you care about in the community. So right now for Autism Awareness Month, we're supporting Reality Ministries, which is an amazing organization in Durham that promotes kinship and relationship development for people with and without disabilities. And then next month for Mother's Day, we're partnering with Meals on Wheels of Orange County. Um, and every time you buy a bouquet from us, you support our farm and you raise money for Meals on Wheels to fight food insecurity. Um, and this is just, I feel like this is just another layer that we can attach to creating positive visibility for people with disabilities um, that, you know, not only are we, you know, growing beautiful things, but we're, we're also trying to grow a beautiful community. I think that's such a wonderful initiative. And the fact that we can help support the growth of the inspiring businessmen <laughs> like Ramey in the process is it, it just, it, it's the right thing to do when you see somebody trying so hard to be able to create a business, run a business, is out there working extremely hard, it's supported. Give that motivation so others can be inspired by it and hopefully can live the same life and create their own opportunities, albeit farming or whatever it is that their dreams lead to. 
as a, as a mom who's lived this, is that it sounds like you lived the, the lack of resources within the community in the schooling system where you had to homeschool, or maybe, I mean, choosing to homeschool is always, you know, you get that, that more opportunity to be involved. But you went through that and you went through the lack of support from the education system where, you know, they took away the program that you fell in love with. Um, and then it's how do you find the support staff? So you've been resilient through this process and you've built something wonderful out of it. What is your encouragement to other families? So when we were homeschooling and we did our, our, our ABA program, we had a classroom upstairs and one of my son's therapists had a picture of him that she had taped to the wall. And it was just a picture of Ramey on a swing and it said underneath it, I will teach you and you will teach me. You are amazing and will accomplish great things. And so that is, that is what I want to share with, with our families is set the bar high, have expectations, give your kids chores. <laughs> um, I mean, truly, that was, um, that was some of the advice that I got when Ramey was little. And I think it was just incredibly helpful for him to start that process of I'm capable of doing, I'm capable of doing this for myself. I'm capable of doing a lot of things for myself. And, um, and just, you know, kind of, you know, as, as your kids are growing to, to kind of track the things that, that they're good at and then match it with something that, that they can find work doing purposeful work doing. And, you know, any work can be purposeful if you enjoy it and you're able to do it well. It's just yeah, so- it's funny that you're not yeah, the way that you just described that there. We had another guest come on um, a few months back that said very similar things. It was a matter of really stepping back and knowing what barriers you might be putting on by not having high expectations. Is that yeah. I feel like as individuals, we all step up when we need to. And our children are the same is that if we can give them the right supports, they're going to take on those challenges and maybe we can poke holes in the bubble that we artificially create for our kids at times and say, you know, let's do this together. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I honestly, and just not to bring everything back to a farming metaphor, but um, I am blown away by how much Ramey is able to do and how much I, I really didn't understand how much, fear I had as a, as a parent until we started farming and there's equipment involved and there's this, you know, we do a, we, we burn holes in landscape fabric to put on our garden beds and we use a blowtorch and, uh, and Ray wanted to use this blowtorch and I, it was really hard for me <laughs> to oh, yeah. hand it over to him and say, you know, go for it, buddy. And he was amazing. I mean, he was so cautious and careful and, just like, I, I don't even know why I worried, but it's just, I think, I think, you know, when your kids um, are vulnerable and they have, you know, especially when they have a disability, it's so easy to just want to, to protect them, to do everything for them so that they don't have to experience failure because you just, you feel like they've got enough, you know, there's enough, but really uh, it was the greatest advice to me to you give them chores um, because because uh, he's so capable of doing so much for himself. And that was, that was such a gift that I could give him um, that has helped him just instrumentally in uh, his life and in his childhood. 
And, and uh, I actually had the same conversation with my daughter. She was a gymnast the other day. And I said, you know what, is that without those failures, how are you going to ever really know what success is? How are you ever going to feel like you've gone through and accomplished anything if you don't fail in the process? And, and, and I think that's an important experience for all children. And we shouldn't take that away from our children just because they experience the world differently at times. And it's like, let's give right. it to them, but be there to support so they can process right. those events and, and have the success. So I love what you're doing. I think that the flower farm sounds like a wonderful, wonderful project. And it's such a cool business model to be able to enter into. And I, I see the world as being wide open for Ramey right now with these sorts of opportunities. So um, I, I thank you for coming on and sharing your experience. And I hope it inspires others. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all of the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like Autism Spectrum Disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly Podcast by visiting abskids, that's plural, dot com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank you.